we welcome you into a regular season edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. It's been a long, long time since we've been able to say that. I'm your host, Andrew Schwab, C70 at the bat, at C70 with me as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman. And, and Tara, we have, you know, we were talking a lot before the show. There are, there's still the specter of the coronavirus over this whole season, and we'll get into that a little bit. But for one weekend, at least in St. Louis, we could just kind of focus on baseball and it was fun to be able to do that. Yeah. I don't want to say this too loudly because as we've again discussed off air, karma is a very real thing surrounding the coronavirus. It seems so knock on wood or whatever else you have to do when you hear this, but it was nice to watch baseball in St. Louis where they didn't have any immediate issues with positive COVID tests or anything like that right out of the gate. And man, let me tell you, I've been so hesitant to let myself be emotionally invested in baseball this summer, but seeing baseball out there, I know it's still weird without the fans and with some of the, the fake crowd noise and some of the distancing measures and all of that, but it was so good. It was so good to watch baseball. It was so exciting to, you know, see them play games that count and, and feel like, wow, this is, this is baseball that means something for the game, but also just, man, honestly, the the entertainment value and the break from real life, I don't want to make it sound like that's more important than the risks that are being taken. But for this weekend, to be able to sit back and watch baseball and just feel a little bit normal for a minute was really nice. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> excuse me, it was a little bit strange. It didn't really feel like opening day. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. Um, it- felt like a mid-July game. Um, it just happened to be that there weren't any games before it. Um, I, but yeah, I didn't, you know, I've been, I've been pretty adamant about how I wasn't really fired up about this season and wasn't really sure about it, but it was. It was that nice familiarity to be able to sit there. It was a l- very strange. I don't think, I, I think the crowd noise is fine by me, which is surprising. I thought I'd find it distressing. But when every time... Dan and and uh, Brad would talk about the crowd noise and it got weird <laughs> yeah. because like, oh yeah, there's nobody sitting out there, but it's like the stadium's haunted by this, you know, ghost of crowds past type of thing. Um, but when you're not really thinking about it, you just get this background noise like you're always used to. And it's like, oh yeah, then it's empty seats. Um, but overall, I, I did see that, you know, I think we thought there was going to be a lot less high-fiving and, and things of that nature. I don't, <laughs> think that they got that memo um (laughs) the social distancing is not happening as much in this in in that in that regard but you know again to some degree by the point you get to this these guys have been together you know a high five is probably not going to pass the virus more than you know being in the in the same general vicinity for the last two weeks or whatever so it was it was good. It was normal. And it helped that the Cardinals won two out of three games um, yeah. because I think we would feel a lot different about this season had the Cardinals lost the first series to Pirates. Yeah. And I think they won in ways that left us feeling pretty positive about what we saw. And again, the caveat is it's the Pirates. They're not mm-hmm. expected to be a particularly dominant opponent this year or particularly competitive in some regards. But to see the Cardinals go out, get great pitching performances from Jack Flaherty, a really solid start from Adam Wainwright, to see the bullpen come in and, for the most part, do their job and finish out the innings they were asked to finish out. Yeah, 
Hudson ran into some issues on Sunday and that game kind of got away from them. But to see the pitching that we saw, to see offensive production right away from Tyler O'Neill and Dexter Fowler, to see Paul Goldschmidt get in on it pretty early and to then follow it up in game two with an offensive performance that included pretty much everyone in some capacity. And it wasn't just solo homers. It was getting on base and moving guys over. You saw the running game from Colton Wong and Tommy Edmond. And I love that duo at the top of the order. I think that once they get going, they're going to destroy pitchers by the way that they move around the bases. And that's going to be really fun to watch. There were doubles, there were triples, there was aggressive running. There was the thing that happened to Colton Wong that probably shouldn't have, but it was kind of hilarious. And there were big moments. There were small things that they did well. There was solid defense. All of that came into play this weekend. And yes, Sunday's game not the greatest offensive performance, but I think there were a lot of positive takeaways beyond just the wins that are obviously very important in this condensed season too. Yeah. You know, everybody immediately on Friday when the lineup was announced, and of course we're in this DH era now, unfortunately, but they indicated, look, how, how terrible is it that our outfielders are batting seven, eight, and nine. And I, there's a point there. I get you. You expect your outfielders to be more of the middle of the lineup type of guys, but I don't think it was necessarily just in, in idea of this is our best hitter working to our worst. I think that Mike Schilt really is planning on turning that lineup because when you get O'Neill and, and Fowler, uh, you know, you've got a chance to drive some runs in there and then you've got Bader and then you turn it over to Wong and, and Edmund. This has a lineup that, if everything is clicking, has a chance to really flow pretty well. That there's not necessarily going to be this huge, you know, you know, black hole stopping spot of yeah. oh, the offense is going to die right here. Um, we've had those in the past, right? I mean, we've had those years <laughs> where it um, you just like why you know okay, well this we're going to get it off. You know, Carpenter's going to hit, and uh, you know maybe DeYoung's going to hit, and that's it. You know. Uh, that's not the way this lineup is. Now, we'll still have to wait and see. The jury's still out on Harrison Bader. Um, the only times I think this weekend, I mean, he may have drawn a walk too, but he got hit by pitch twice. Um, so there's still some um, possibilities there. We're not, we're not sure, but for the most part, yeah, this it's not great. It's not going to necessarily set the world on fire, but when it is clicking, it's going to do plenty, uh, especially with the pitching staff. Yeah, it's not an offense that's designed like you design the ones in L.A. or New York, right? It's not that kind of team. They didn't go out and and buy the best hitters they could find. But I, I agree with you. I think there's intention behind this lineup, and there's a lot of potential there for this team to score runs in ways that other teams can't. And in in ways that the Cardinals haven't been able to in years past when they depended on those two home run guys to hit a home run to score all the runs that they would get in any given day. This lineup isn't designed to do that. And I think that's a good thing. I think this is the kind of lineup that 
has the possibility of being a bit more sustainable in the way that you can create offense. And that's the difference, right? This is a this is a team, this is an organization, this is a philosophy and a, a process designed around creating offense, not just hitting bad pitches. <laughs> and they didn't do that well last year. And they came in this season. I heard uh, talk on, I don't remember if it was today or, or yesterday on the broadcast, talking about DeYoung saying that they came into the spring last year and knew that they needed to be better defensively and they did it. So they came into the spring this year and knew that they needed to be better offensively. So they have a strategic plan in order to do it. And they're starting to see some guys, you know, you don't take much away from the first three games of the season, but I do think there were positive signs of the way they're going about their business. And some of that honestly is even the outs being a bit more productive than they were last year, getting that two out hit, moving the runners over all those things. Um, So yeah, I think the bottom of the order right now on paper, you go, Ooh, that has the potential to get real icy cold at some points during the season. But it's also, as you mentioned, perhaps a bit more intentional in who's there and in the order in which they are there because of what it does when you then turn the lineup over and it turns into this sort of continuous loop of exactly how you want these things to play out where, for example, Harrison Bader isn't blocked by Yadier Molina in front of him or Mm -hmm. some of those things that we ran into last year, that this seems like it's a more cohesive offensive unit if it works like it's supposed to. And of course that's the caveat, but that is every year, right? Right. I mean, the, in the, right. You can't tell, you tell more from these three games than you could inner squad games, which yeah. is all we had really debates it on, except for that um, exhibition against the Royals, which the Cardinals also won and did look pretty well in. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's a lot. And, you know, when you look at this lineup, it's difficult to see that it would be much different. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Yadier Molina's probably could hit maybe a spot lower, but where's Dexter Fowler going to hit unless he's just, right. I mean, if it's super the extra special Dexter Fowler that we thought we were getting in 2016, maybe he's up at the top of the lineup. But, you know, like you said, with Long and Edmund up there, it's difficult to see him, you know, cracking that even with a very good year. Um, Tyler O'Neill is a guy that might be able to hit in the five, six spot. But when you've got a DH with uh, Matt Carpenter hitting in that area, it doesn't seem like he's really a, necess- a need for that. So, um, yeah, I, li- I like what they did. It's very, it's very interesting that, the one day that they didn't have Harrison Bader is the day that they didn't hit. Um, you would have thought it would have gone the other way. Uh, I know Lane Thomas probably wish he would have been able to contribute more today because, um, you know, he's got to be, I guess maybe not because of Austin Dean, but, you know, we're now three days into the season. We're going to be just another week and a half before they have to make their first cuts to, to get down to 28. A guy like Lane Thomas probably wants to make a little bit of an impact just to make sure that he doesn't go down to Springfield um, and have to spend a lot of time there. Uh, but at least if the early indications are, it feels like Mike Schilt may be going with a fairly set lineup for a while. Yeah, and I would agree. I think when you look at what the Cardinals have, and I, I'm trying not to look at this sort of through rose-colored glasses, just so mm-hmm. excited that baseball is back that I think everything's wonderful. Exactly. <laughs> there, there are still flaws with this team, right? But I think it's hard when you start comparing, like I said, the Dodgers or the Yankees or even the Braves on paper, and you see 
who they stack up back to back to back in their lineup. But I love the possibilities of this lineup for what the Cardinals are working with, right? It doesn't do us a whole lot of good at this point to think, man, if they only had Nolan Arenado, man, if they only had Christian Yelich, man, if they only had Giancarlo Stanton, none of that's relevant right now. The pieces they are working with, I think this is a great use of the talent that they have, the personnel that they have in putting them in places in the order to be successful. And quite honestly, if I think about and this is where I said, I'm, I'm trying not to get two rose-colored glasses. If I think about the best versions that we've seen in the last few years of Colton Wong and Tommy Edmond and Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung and Matt Carpenter, that one through five is has the potential to be really difficult to get through and also has the potential that once somebody is on base ahead of them to do some serious damage to at least change the pace of the game and create those opportunities for themselves, which is not something I said about one through five last year. So it's more of the same as far as the names that you see or the sort of kind of player, but I think they're they're in a position to be utilized better this way. So, you know, Mike Schilt can only work with the players that he has in front of him. And I think this is the best way to get that done right now, because then it also takes a little bit of the pressure off of a Tyler O'Neill or even a Dexter Fowler. And quite honestly, even from Matt Carpenter hitting fifth, instead of being plugged into one of those top two spots, because that's where they think he needs to be. And then as the season goes along and things click for them and they start to settle in and all of a sudden they're driving the offense, maybe you move it around from there. But for now, this seems to be like the lineup that makes the most sense, at least to me. Yeah. And I mean, not it's still not fully clicking. Matt Carpenter only had right. one hit yeah. this weekend. Um, you know, Tyler O'Neill had the home run and had a few moments here and there. But, you know, except for Saturday... I guess you could say the offense just wasn't necessarily all that it could be, but it still showed enough that, you know, you're right. Those nights when everybody is going, they're going to put up a whole lot of runs. And you just hope that there's enough nights where enough people are going that they can deal with this, you know, give enough for this pitching staff. Because, you know, going into this season, we thought that the pitching staff would be a strength with the defense and all that. And nothing this weekend really changed a whole lot of opinions because I think a lot of us expected that Dakota Hudson is probably the weak link in this, um, in this rotation. And, you know, he was the one that, that struggled a little bit today. Yeah. And the good news is he's not the last option. Right. (laughs) They have other options. They have Austin Gomber. They have Ponce uh, de Leon. They have, um, you know, even some guys that aren't with the team right now that could come up if necessary. You also have, when you put, Giovanni Gallegos and potentially Alex Reyes back into that mix in the bullpen, then you can pull somebody else to make a start here or there because those guys are certainly capable as well. So they do have other options should Dakota Hudson struggle enough that you feel like you need to move him or it could become a scenario where, and I doubt that the Cardinals would do this. They probably wouldn't call it by the name, but they might do it and then just say, it was something else, but you could almost go ahead and piggyback someone like Dakota Hudson with Austin Gomber to some degree and not expect either of them to pitch more than four innings. And then you don't have to worry about pushing them past that brink and facing the lineup a a third time around or whatever. So um, they do have those options 
based on the other guys in the rotation. Granted, we haven't seen Miles Michaelis yet. We haven't seen Carlos Martinez yet. They're going to be facing the gauntlet of the Minnesota Twins this uh, starting this week off. So, you know, hopefully that goes as expected, at least to some extent. And there's not a, an instant concern for how you fill out their spots in the rotation as well. But I think Dakota Hudson being the weak spot is not necessarily the worst thing that could happen because if he's the weak spot, they're doing all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would think that that's uh, that's all right. If they can manage that. And you're right. I mean, I've got to think that, I don't know. I, you know, we talked so much about what kind of, of, of pitcher, how many pitchers they should take and, and things of that nature. And then Jack Flaherty goes and throws seven and Adam Wainwright throws six. Um, you've got Carlos Martinez coming up next to already threw like seven innings in some sort of, you know, warm up game before he came to camp. Um, it really makes you wonder exactly how they're going to use Austin Gomber and Daniel Ponce de Leon. We saw Ponce de Leon get the last out of, of the game on Saturday I think mainly just to get him a little bit, just to get him some work. Although I don't know that an out really counts for a starting pitcher. You know, how much work is that really? Um, I think that's going to be maybe the interesting thing to figure out is one, how they're going to use these guys. And two, you know, last year Dakota Hudson went what a month, six weeks before really kind of finding his stride. They can't do that this year. How long do they go um, before they make that kind of change? Yeah, that's what's so tough. I know people have asked the same question about a Harrison Bader, for example, or KK as the closer, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. How much leash do you give somebody in a season like this? And there's no blueprint for any of this. And I think so much of it ends up depending on what else is happening. So what the other guys in the rotation are doing, what your bullpen looks like, how much offense you're able to generate on a nightly basis. And that's so hard to estimate because everything is so weird right now. I think with Dakota Hudson, the the reality is the Cardinals did have chances offensively today that they did not capitalize on. Um, The pitching for the pirates is not something that's particularly strong. So they should have been able to create more offense than they did. I think anyone would be comfortable saying that or suggesting that about this team. So that was a little bit disappointing and could have potentially changed the tide for what ended up happening uh, with Dakota Hudson. But, as far as how mu- how many starts you give him, I don't know, because there just isn't wiggle room. <laughs> right, there right. isn't a chance to make up those lost games if they get out of hand early. And I was hoping to see the Cardinals put some runs up late, even if they didn't win, to just kind of prove that, okay, they can stick around and come back on a team and, and keep it interesting. They didn't do that today. That doesn't mean they won't do it all season, but it does you know, take away a little bit of that feeling of, okay, the starting pitcher can get a little bit of a boost if you get back a couple of runs right away. I also think the performance of Austin Gomber in the spring and then in in summer camp puts him in a position to be, it almost, his success almost makes the lease shorter for Dakota Hudson because they don't have to let him flounder. They don't have to try to push him through because there's another guy that can likely um, step in and and do a good job as well, based on what we've seen so far. So 
that's sort of dodging your question as far as giving a specific answer, but I don't think they have to let him go out there four, five, six times and struggle. So if he goes out there two more times after this and still doesn't look like he can do much more than get through four innings and give up a couple of runs, you might make a change. Yeah, and I did think it was interesting that what was it was a second inning on Saturday when Adam Rainwright was having trouble finding the strike zone. Um, Austin Gummer was warming up. And, and again, it was a situation where the, the, the Pirates just wound up tying the game at 1-1, but it felt like Mike Schilt wasn't necessarily going to let even Adam Wainwright um, get them into too big of a hole. Um, and, and granted, Wainwright righted the ship and, and then pitched another you know four innings or whatever. But yeah, I, th- I think that, I mean, we have said in the past, it feels like Mike Schilt's at his best when he's aggressive. Um and I think that this is just going to maybe accentuate those tendencies. I don't, yeah. I don't feel like he's going to do a whole lot. I mean, it, it, again, it may be that Hudson makes a lot of starts, but it may be that, you know, somebody's warming up in the second if Hudson's having trouble fighting the, the strikes. And he's not necessarily just going to let him be out there just because the starter's supposed to go four or five innings. Yeah. And I also think part of this, too, that's going to be what you and I will never be able to guess is – the stress mentally on a guy like Hudson, mm. knowing that there is no margin for error in this season, knowing that, okay, if I go out there and and f- just fall apart two or three more times, I might be out of a job, or even just the pressure of feeling like you have to be so perfect because of the weight of every single game this season – you know, that's something else that Mike Schilt is going to have to manage. And quite honestly, I don't know that there's anybody I would trust to manage that better than Mike Schilt at this point because of the relationship he's built with the players and the way that they seem to be able to communicate with him pretty effectively and vice versa. So that's part of this equation is, you know, when when Mike Matheny was the manager in St. Louis, we always heard about, you know, he left a guy in because he didn't want him to think that he wasn't confident in him or whatever. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I felt like that had the reverse effect where the guy didn't come through and then he felt less confident about his ability and might be thinking, why don't you just get me out of here before I ruined this? So there's a fine line there with Dakota Hudson or anyone else in being able to know that guy and and his tendencies and the way that he's going to bounce back uh, from a a mental standpoint, the the confidence and the ability to just kind of leave it in the past and forget it um, to you know, is it better for him to fight through that and potentially give up a run and know that his manager had confidence in him? Or is it better for his manager to say, look, I got this. You don't have to worry about it and you'll get him next time. And that's, like I said, that's what you and I will never know because we're not in that clubhouse every day and we're not dealing with them on a personal level, but that'll certainly come into play. I'm sure. I don't know if you saw the tweet of the Royals fans that were complaining because Mike Matheny <laughs> took out the opening day starter with, you know, runners, runner on first and hadn't got to the fifth inning. And they were saying, you got to leave the veteran in there to get the win. I'm like, Mike Matheny did not leave a veteran in to get a win. Um, that means, you know, Mike Matheny must have changed somewhere along the way. And not uh, only that, but he gave a lengthy and thoughtful explanation as to why he made that choice, which is also huge progress. Yeah, I mean, you know, he said he'd learned a lot in this, you know, two years since he's been managing, and well, signs that indicate that one, he has, and two, he's going to get yelled at no matter 
what he does because that's what fans do. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So two and one, it's a nice start to the season. Um, but yeah, I think there's got to be. We've got to talk about the fact that this virus is still floating around. We know that the Marlins have had some people test positive to the point that they are staying in Philadelphia, not traveling to Baltimore tonight. Um, they're still That's still kind of a situation up in the air. Um, the Reds have had a couple of people test positive this weekend. Um, you know, Juan Soto from the Nationals tested positive right before opening day. So far, we have not seen any cancellation of games. We have not seen any kind of hiccup at all in baseball's March. Is that the right thing? Are we going to start seeing that? What does this all mean? Uh, If only we knew, right? (laughs) If only we had an idea what any of this meant going forward, not just in baseball, but kind of for all of us, right? Trying to figure out what to make of our own lives in our various situations. As for baseball, though, look, this was the risk that was the reason so many players kept saying, no, if we're going to go out there and play, you're going to pay us for that Mm -hmm. because they're taking on this risk in a very different way than anyone else is. So the other thing about baseball that is going to continue to be a challenge is that there aren't clear restrictions or guidelines for what happens when guys leave the ballpark. On the road, it's a little bit different. The, the, concept is you're at the hotel or you're at the ballpark. But when they're at home, no one's following them around to make sure that they don't have anyone over or that they don't go to a pool party or that they don't go out to a restaurant. And I'll be honest, we've talked about this from the perspective of trusting your teammates, but just from the perspective of seeing how the rest of the country is is acting, I don't have a ton of confidence in the decisions that are going to be made on their personal time. And baseball has no control over that. Mike Schilt has no uh, ability to follow home everybody (laughs) every night to make sure that they're keeping things under control and being safe and and smart and whatever. So uh, as far as a team like the Marlins is concerned, I do think it's concerning. I think this is how this whole thing can get out of hand very quickly in that they traveled with someone who had already contracted the virus and then they had to pull starters a handful of starters from the game today because they were either exhibiting symptoms or they had been in close contact with the player that tested positive so they had to wait until they got test results back and then you become concerned about the entire team that traveled with them and then you become concerned about the team that they played in three games and who they might have been in contact with there and the umpires and so it just it spirals very quickly if there's not a good containment plan and i feel like broken record saying that because i've been saying all along what happens if and this Mm. is the if that there didn't seem to be a clear plan in place for and so what do you do do you skip uh, do you do you delay a game do you postpone a game do you play a double header once everyone's cleared do you you know cancel a whole series do you does a whole team end up having to quarantine for two weeks I don't I don't know no one seems to know what you do in this situation if the one guy that tested positive turns into eight guys that test positive and that's before we really get into the heart of the traveling of the season now there is the possibility that 
um, once you get further into the season, guys are busy enough and constantly on the go and whatever that they don't have as much time <laughs> to go out and do things and be around other people. And you know, I heard someone make the argument the other day that it's almost safer in some cases for these guys to be in this sort of scenario because of the constant testing and because of the work that they're going to have to be putting in than to just be home like the rest of us and be losing our minds because we're bored. So um it's, I don't know. Again, I feel like I'm just rambling as far as this goes because we still don't have any clear answers on that what happens if. And now we're faced with it. And no one still has any answers about what happens if. And I think not only are we talking, I mean, there's so many issues in this. <coughs> Excuse me. But, you know, not only, I mean, the player pool is there, as you said. There's, there's, a, there's a reason the player pool exists. And in theory, the Marlins could, find a way to bring up another pitcher and another catcher and whatever other positions that they need to. And it is the Marlins. So this part isn't as important, but what if it's, what if it's the Brewers that have this next and they have three or four players and they're bringing up triple A guys. I, they're having to start three or four triple A guys in the middle of what is going to be a very competitive National League central race. You know, there comes a point where, the quality and the, um, I don't know, consistency of, of, of talent has to be involved here too. If you're going to have the integrity of the season to some degree. Now, again, it's a weird season. We know all this, but you know, there is a difference and it's somewhat like maybe kind of, if you want to go back to it, like world war two, when some teams lost players and the Cardinals got to keep Stan usual and went to three world series. And we don't worry about that too much. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like at some point in time, baseball needs to take a step back and say, look, if, if the, if the race is going to be infected by this, it's one thing if it's one player and you just have to deal with it. But when you're having multiple players at one time, yeah, there feels like there should be something. It just it doesn't, feel right that a team should be, I mean, we're all, they're all dealing with various issues, but to then have this thrown at them. And I get it. Some people pointed out like the Yankees, what last year had a ton of injuries at the same time. And, and that happens, but I don't know. It feels like this is a little bit different. Yeah. I was going to say to some extent, the loss of players is always a risk, but this right. is a, a very different risk. And you're right. I, I think, and I think I mentioned this in a conversation on Twitter earlier today that the unfortunate reality is that this is an experiment mm -hmm. <laughs> and you don't know what is going to happen in an experiment. That's why you're doing the experiment. So if they can contain the one or two players or three players, or even if it's four players from one team that end up testing positive this week, and then they can keep them away from everyone else and maintain this, the distancing and the wearing masks and the hand sanitizer and all of those things. And it doesn't become something that spirals and becomes a full blown outbreak where you have an entire team that's likely going to test positive. You, you can work with that, right? But mm -hmm. you have to – you can't take a break from the right. protocols, right? You cannot – for the next three months, you cannot take a break. And you can't get lazy. You can't get too comfortable. And that's, that's a huge ask in a lot of ways because it's not as easy as we all – we can all sit here and say, well, just wear a mask and just stay in your hotel and just do this and just do that. It's not as easy as we want to make it sound to 
completely limit your life to strictly baseball for the next three months and do so under the pressure of all of these other things. So it is an experiment. And what happens with the Marlins when they presumably get tests back in the morning um, will be a huge factor in, you know, kind of phase one of the experiment. What happens with the Reds who had players who tested positive um, this weekend? That's going to be a huge piece of collecting data for how this is going to work. And, you know, then you make a decision from there. What do you do next? And did that work? And if it didn't work, can you, you know, go back a couple of steps and rework it so that the next time, if there is a next time, you do something better? And the this whole thing is about risk management. And it's about making sure it doesn't get out of control because they can't effectively keep everyone completely healthy without trapping them in a bubble like the NBA and the NHL are doing and avoiding contact with essentially the outside world as a whole for the duration of the season. You just can't, you can't do that with this format, which has its advantages. And I think you've talked about it, bringing baseball to the cities and to the communities and being a part of that. It's something that's uniquely baseball, but it does have inherent risks that playing in an isolated bubble doesn't have. And I think we're seeing that already. Yeah. And I mean, the NBA and the NHL can go to the bubble in part because they only had like a month left, you yeah. know, um, they can, it, it's tough, but they could, you know, put their families aside and say, okay, we're going to do the play. Cause for some of those players, it's not, I mean, it's, that's counting the playoffs. So as soon as they lose, they're out of the bubble. So it could be just a couple of weeks or something of that nature. But baseball was talking about the whole thing. I mean, you're talking about two months of season plus, um, you know, whatever playoffs there are. So, that that is a lot to ask for somebody and for and, and again i think i gotta feel like mike mike trout saying he wasn't going to do that helped help kind of <laughs> eliminate that option mm-hmm. um, because if you don't have the best player in your game playing then you've got some real integrity issues with their season um but yeah it's but you it does you're right that just adds to the risk and you've got this the trade-off that you've got to have if you're going to be able to spend this time with your family and 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 things like that. You've got to be able to do that. And, and then hopefully the Cardinals will. I mean, so far everybody that's been tested positive from the Cardinals is before the intake tests and, or, you know, they were tested during the intake. They got it before then. Um, and hopefully it, it continues to to stay that way. And, um, you know, it'd be nice that this is, this is a little flare up now and hopefully we won't have to talk about it again in baseball, but it seems kind of, unlikely because as everybody said going into this there are going to be positive tests and we're seeing that as much as you try it doesn't seem like it's going to be able to stop yeah uh, unfortunately i think i think if someone could figure out how to make it stop for baseball they'd be a very popular person this is very true very true all right well we have had like i said we've had our first taste of the 2020 season and it's very good uh, Cardinals have Minnesota for two games this week and Milwaukee for three games. This is their first travel. This is their first test of these things as well. Um, and hopefully we're coming back at you next week talking about another successful week for the Cardinals. But until then, that is Tara. I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. 
Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.